Sorry, Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Thanks, Phil. Good morning, all. Good to be back up here preaching again. Romans is, um, for me, one of the uh, most encouraging and confronting books of the Bible. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, the next 10 weeks, I think it is, Joel. Is it 10 weeks or thereabouts? Um, that we're going to be looking at this, uh, at the first uh, eight chapters. So I'm doing the first week um, and we're going to look at the power of the gospel. And today in particular, uh, I'm going to look at uh, this topic of uh, the gospel saving us. Um, just as uh, a reminder, if you've been in church circles, you've probably heard this before, but it's good for us to think about that as we um, wrestle with this topic of what does the word gospel mean or where does it come from? Uh, and so gospel often is um, translated good news. Um, and so it's probably more the, the idea of good news of victory uh, you would have heard before that uh, when the king, you know, the kings went out to battle, uh, the battle happened, and they sent a runner back into the city, and that runner came with good news, the gospel that victory had been won, 
and so that the king again would come back and the people would get to reign or sorry the people would get to live in uh, the reign of the king in um, in safety and security and prosperity with hope uh, and so this that's sort of what captures this word gospel so it's the good news uh, of victory uh, and the good news of victory that is proclaimed to us and then we now uh, get to live in as well. And so uh, we can start to have a bit of a think about how uh, that looks in our lives. In Romans in particular, um, Paul focuses that victory on the victory over sin and death and hell. Uh, he touches not a little bit, but not heaps on the victory over sort of Satan and evil. He touches that in, in other letters that he writes. But in particularly in the book of Romans, he deals um, with uh, God's victory and Christ's victory over sin. And so we're probably going to be confronted by that a bit over the next uh, few weeks. I think Andrew and Joel have got a couple of interesting chapters coming up. Uh, if you've read through Romans, it's pretty uh, full on. But um, we're sort of going to be focusing uh, on that a little bit uh, as we go through Romans. So uh, it's, uh, the book is a letter that's written to uh, the church in Rome. Uh, and the church in Rome is made up of uh, Jewish Christians as well as um, Gentile Christians. Um, and they're seeking to um, learn how to live out uh, the good news of Jesus, and Paul writes them this letter. It's a bit of an interesting letter because it's only really these first 17 verses and maybe the last chapter where Paul sort of addresses them personally. He actually sort of speaks to them and says, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to coming there. and wanting All the 15 chapters in between is pretty well Paul's theological explanation of the gospel. And so he takes 15 chapters to pretty well explain how this whole gospel thing works. So the gospel is sort of a simple concept, uh, but it's also a massive thing for us to understand, grasp and put into practice. Um, so hopefully over these next couple of months we'll get to um, understand that a little bit more. Um, in this first um, 17 verses is his introduction to the letter and so he picks up some of his major themes that he's going to be uh, talking about uh, in the letter and that we're going to um, look at them. Uh, the key thing, I don't know if you counted it, I underlined it in my Bible, but he mentions the word gospel here how many times? Anyone count? Someone give me a count, find out how many there are. So it's a pretty important theme because he mentions it a lot in these first 17 verses. Anyone counted? Four, five, six times. Six times he mentions the word gospel. Uh, and then so it's the, it's the key sort of theme that he wants to explore um, through this book. Uh, he explains, and you start to pick up some of the language already in this uh, first introduction. He talks about righteousness, um, and whenever I hear that word, I always the way it clicks for me is righteousness means how do we get to be right with God? 
So when you hear the righteous, right with God, that's what sort of righteousness is. And so um, sin obviously makes us or gets in the way of that and creates that barrier. And then Jesus comes, deals with that sin so that we can be right with God. We can have direct contact with the creator of the universe. And like Joel said, we can call him dad. We are known as his children. So we're uh, right with God. Uh, And he talks a lot about that that comes about not by the things that we do, but it's actually a gift of God given to us uh, through his son Jesus that comes to us by actually believing it, faith. So that's another big theme that he picks up. This this good news of victory over sin so that you can be right with God is given to you as a gift uh, and all you need to do is receive it by believing it. Uh, That's our work. And so um, today, uh, and I think then Paul, as he goes through these next 15 chapters, he talks about uh, what is the gospel, he talks about uh, how it actually works, uh, and he talks about how it actually affects uh, the way we are to live. And there, if I was to have three points, they're my sort of three points of my ramblings this morning. It's what is the gospel, how it works, and how does it affect uh, the way we live? And so um, I've got the title of my sort of message today is The Gospel Saves, and then I've got this little phrase behind it, is now live like it does, okay? Because I'm going to explore this, because my sort of pastoring in the church, um, I'll get into my sermon, you'll you'll get to get the feel of it. So The Gospel Saves, now live like it does. Um, as we get into this, I ask, ask yourself this question. Just as we come into this and you start to think about it, ask the Holy Spirit, ask God, ask your Father, um, how you have experienced the power of the gospel. Just personally, how, how we're gonna, the theme is the power of the gospel. How have you experienced that power? Just ask, have a bit of a think and a ponder, ask the Spirit. Um, and how has it changed the way that you live if someone was to ask you, how, how has the gospel changed the way you live? How would you answer that? Just have a bit of a think, a ponder, conversation with God on that. And we'll go to the next slide as you think about that. At the moment, um, Joel and I are um, involved in the uh, Valiant Man course, um, which sort of looks at sort of restoring moral and spiritual integrity um, with men in the area of sexuality and um, sexual sin and sexual brokenness. Um, and we've got a good group of uh, Christian blokes who have been uh, coming along um, to those sessions. Um, and I've often found myself sitting in the room and, um, and just being overwhelmed with the sense of shame in that place. Shame and guilt um, experiencing it myself and hearing the other guys talk as well. And I think, it, I think one of the reasons is because um, you're talking about sex and that's a bit sort of vulnerable and it's a bit sort of hard and sort of how do you talk about that? And I think particularly for both blokes, it's a bit embarrassing and vulnerable. I think there's a bit of that in it. But I also think that particularly in Christian circles, sexual sin is ramped up in terms of the amount of shame associated with it which I don't think is godly (laughs) Um, I think there's a lot of other sins that we should be looking at that uh, should have be ramped up on that but somehow um, trying to understand a little bit the difference between guilt and shame 
um, and the idea that guilt is to drive us to grace um, and to take that away. And that yet somehow um, um, that sin um, is something that's sort of still controlled in our lives or taking control in our lives and we're not overly comfortable talking about it and um, sin can be often something that we sort of keep hidden, keep to ourselves and we're not fully honest maybe even to ourselves or to others or to God about it um, because it shows us up to be weak or wrong or dirty or something like that. It's pretty heavy stuff. Um, but what I've seen in that place, in that space, um, experience, is the power of the gospel is often seen when it rubs up against raw sin. And we often experience power, the power of God, that we don't in any other way when we actually come to that place of admitting that uh, vulnerability of our brokenness and our sinfulness. Uh, Romans is going to be pretty heavy and it talks a lot about sin. Um, uh, it's going to get us thinking about regrets and hurts and um, even addictions uh, that we have there. But it's interesting because in that group of valiant men, and I'm one of them, and I'd say they're a good bunch of Christian blokes. They've, most of them have grown up in Christian homes. Most of them... Uh, sorry. All of us have heard the gospel numerous times. Uh, they would, we would all say we know the gospel. We actually, the guys know their Bibles pretty well and they can quote verses and they know stuff. Um, they would even say they believe the gospel. They believe that it's true. And yet, I'm not so sure, particularly in those in, at different times and moments, if we're actually living the gospel. And I put, I'm, I'm one of the guys in that room. And I sort of know it yet, but I still um, almost start to have an identity. My identity is shaped by my sin and my brokenness and shame, which is not what the gospel says, even though I've, I've, I've known what it says, and, but yet do I actually live it? And so today in particular, I want to focus a little bit on... Um, how do we experience the power of the gospel to save? And how do, we, how do we feel that power when we don't feel right with God? And I think um, particularly with reoccurring sin, sin that sort of we, we want to stop that we can't stop and it just keeps going, that is, is one of the areas that I think we find it hard to live the gospel in. And so we actually push it down. We don't deal with it a lot and it's sort of, under the surface. Um, but what I found um, doing the Valiant Man course and other places is the joy and the freedom when the gospel is applied and um, we're actually freed to talk about our sexual brokenness and sinfulness with each other and actually remind each other of the gospel and remind each other of the truth of who we are in Christ. Um, so, it's good. Um, so here's your question. And again, interact with the Spirit in this. Uh, what's your reoccurring sin? What's the sin that, that you find hard to stop? What's the place where you feel shame? Here's the thing, and I've said this lots of times in different places. Um, 
as broken humans, we are all addicted to sin. Addiction is just not being able to stop something that we know that we shouldn't be doing. And we, we all do it in different ways. And it's, it's okay to admit it. Um, Paul, in, uh, later on in the book, in chapter 7, he comes out pretty well and he's, you know, he's, uh, he talks about his struggle with sin. He talks about, you know, the stuff I don't want to do, I keep on doing it. And the things that I sh- really should be doing, I, I'm not doing it. And he gets to the end of that chapter. And he, this is Paul, the apostle, the, the writer of the gospel. That's, and do you hear, he says, oh, what a wretched person I am. And then the next line comes after that, ah, that there's no condemnation to me in Christ. <laughs> I've been set free from that. And so it's, and I think sometimes um, in Christian circles, we feel that um, we can't be open and honest and real about our sinfulness and our brokenness. I think because of the shame, and I think we want to sort of be seen to be good and stuff like that. But it's often God's glory that comes when someone can get up and say, I have stuffed up and I keep stuffing up, but I keep going back to God and God keeps loving me and his grace is abundant to me. Even though I'm a sinner and I'm still in it, he comes to me and he loves me. He embraces me, he reminds me of forgiveness and he actually gives me power and strength and people to actually help me to not do that or to get back on that. Um, so do you relate? <laughs> Sometimes when we think about these things and if we're, um, we're honest with each other when we look at that sort of stuff, there, there's a sense um, that we feel like we're drowning. Um, just recently, for some reason, I've just seen a few episodes, episodes of Bondi Rescue um, and it made me um, think this because I think in Bondi Rescue, it's sort of some because we're all in different places. So in, in Bondi Rescue, you know, um, there's the danger of being sort of sucked out in the rips. And um, there's people that swim in the flags and sort of so know the rules and obey the rules. But yet some of them still get sucked out and have to be rescued. There are other people who don't listen to the lifeguards and they just swim wherever they want to. And when they're told, they just say, stuff you, I'm just staying here, I'm swimming here. And then they'll get rescued. Or there are people who just actually don't understand it or haven't heard it or can't comprehend that they shouldn't be swimming there. Uh, they get sucked out and they need to be rescued as well. And I think if, if you look at us all through the... All of us are in different places with this. Um, but I think our common uh, reality is that at some point in our lives we realise we have to stick up our hand and say, save me. Someone needs to rescue me, no matter where I'm swimming or living or doing. And Jesus and Paul brings us the beauty, the good news, that there is someone that's, gonna, <laughs> that's able and can uh, save us from that place. It's hard to admit that we need rescue, um, but when we are, and it's a, beauty thing, it's a beautiful thing often when, um, when you watch Bondi Rescue, they get rescued and they come to the shore, and there's almost this sort of, um, they're just relieved, and, and they're smiling, but there's almost sort of this sort of uh, shameful smile, or, or, you know, oh, you know, I, I just, I've had to be saved. Um, and I think there is something, it's, it's a humbling smile, I think that's what it is, and that's what the gospel does, it actually humbles us, that we can't save ourselves, but we've had to be saved. Uh, and when we do that, we rejoice in that, but it sort of also humbles us as well. I think that's a beauty of the gospel. So, 
You want some good news? <laughs> Hopefully the, our passage is going to help us. So let's have a look through this passage and we'll get some good news uh, through all of this. Uh, our passage, uh, yeah, first chapter of Romans, and I've just sort of broken it down into um, a few things as Paul explains what the gospel is. In verse 1, it's really important to know this, um, is the gospel is of God. So it's good news um, from God. It's, it's God's good news. He is the victory. He's the one that brings it. It's not something that we can do ourselves. And I think if you've struggled with reoccurring sin, you recognize that, that I can't actually save myself and I can't make myself right with God. But there's good news, and the good news is that God has intervened and he's made a way possible for that to happen. So the good news is I don't have to muster up the gospel. God has done it for me and gives it to us as a gift. Uh, in Romans 3.21, uh, sort of one of the key verses where things change uh, a little bit in the, the, the book, um, Paul says this, Now there is a righteousness from God. So we're made right with God, but it comes from him. Um, and, it's, and everyone would know this, isn't it? When you're saved, you recognize you need to have a power from outside of yourself. And that's good news. It's humbling news, but it's good news that there is a power outside of ourselves who wants to rescue us and save us and deliver us. Um, he also says in verse 2 that it's a promise uh, and that it's been uh, articulated by the prophets, it's been recorded in the scriptures and Paul talks a lot about this through, the Roman, through Romans. Is This is uh, encapsulated, the gospel is encapsulated in a big story of God. Um, and if you think of the whole Bible, um, there's this idea of um, creation, there's a God who made humanity, the fall came and sin and evil entered the world. There was a promise made that there was going to be a saviour or a messiah or a king who, um, and that redemption was going to come, come to God's people. They were going to be brought back and made right again. Uh, the church continues uh, that journey until Jesus comes back again where um, the, the new earth is going to be re-established and God and his people are going to be back and Paul constantly puts the gospel into that big story. And we need to know that big story uh, to understand the richness of it. And so Paul's going to talk a lot about the Old Testament and um, the, the Israelites and how they worked, but also talk to the Gentiles about sort of creation and how that works and how they've been given uh, a new life as well. Um, the Bible, oh yeah, that's right. It really hit me this week. The Bible is full of wretched people, <laughs> rebellious people being saved. If you read from cover to cover, it is the record of broken, messed up people being saved. So don't think that when... I mean, so it's great to realise that we're in good company. <laughs> it's not such a bad thing to be held in that sort of company. So what I'm saying to each other, saying, saying to us, is that um, getting into the habit of admitting our sinfulness and our brokenness to God, uh, to ourselves, and to each other, um, is a way we experience the power of God in a richer, fuller way. Um, he tells us that the gospel is about God's Son. 
and then that God's son was a human descendant of David, so he was uh, fully man. Um, he talks, talks about a lot of that in the coming chapters. But he also says that this son was God because he, in spirit he was God. He showed that uh, he was fully God by um, rising from the dead. The resurrection shows that he was both God and man. Um, and uh, in the end, he gets to the point that the gospel, the good news is that Jesus Christ, he is the good news. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one uh, who is going to come. And in Romans 3:23, he says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. But we are justified, and justified means um, just as if we've never sinned. It's a good way to remember justified. It's just as if we've never sinned. That's the way God views us now. So it's justified if, uh, freely by his grace. So grace is a gift that's unmerited. So it's, you, you didn't work for it or earn it. It's a gift given to you. Through the redemption, that sort of um, business thing, you've been bought back. The debt's been paid. You owe nothing. You are debt-free. You can live uh, life now to the fullness that came through Jesus Christ. Because God, through Jesus, presented himself as a sacrifice of atonement. Uh, and the atonement word, the one that I always remember, is how we get to be at one with God. Uh, and the way that worked is that um, the sacrificial lamb, um, the sins of the people were laid on that lamb. That lamb was killed and paid for the consequences of sin, which was death. And so Jesus was that for us. And so... Paul's explaining, and he's going to explain a little bit more how it works, is that your sin was put on Christ. For anyone who believes in him, your sin has now been taken away so that you are right with God, and there is nothing now that separates you from his love. And he wants us to know that. Um, so we receive the gift through grace by just believing it, through faith. He talks about that. He reminds us that it's the power of God to save us. So we don't have the power ourselves, but it comes through God. I think the beautiful thing is uh, that that power is often displayed through the church. As the Spirit works in the church, as the Spirit brings fruit and gifts, uh, God's power is displayed um, through, uh, or he displays his saving work through people. Um, that's a great way to experience as well. It's a righteousness from God um, so that we, uh, as one of our values in our church says, we are totally dependent on him. We can't muster this up ourselves. We can't save ourselves, but we can be dependent on his goodness, his grace and receive it and have a new life and a purpose because of that. Uh, the good news is that Jesus' life, death, Resurrection and ascension is going to help us deal with shame and reoccurring sin. And so when we're into that space and when we deal with that, applying the gospel, we're going to experience the power of gospel uh, in those places. So uh, we'll go to the next slide. How does it work? Um, Paul, as I said, takes 15 chapters really to explain how it works, but I've sort of boiled it down a little bit. Um, it's... I've explained a little bit in sort of some of that sacrificial stuff, but Paul particularly sort of has this repeated pattern, is that um, for people to experience the power of the gospel to save them, um, one, they have to hear it. So if they don't hear it or read it, um, they'll never know about Jesus and what he's done. 
uh, they have to believe it. They have to believe that there is a creator God and they've been made in his image and they need saving and that Jesus was truly who he said he was and can save them. Uh, and then uh, remember faith's not enough because it's faith without deeds is dead. So hey, what's deeds? It's living it. It's now I now live my life as if this is true. And so I now live my life as if I am right with God I live my life um, as a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I live my life knowing this cycle, and I've got my little arrow here, that happens of repentance and belief that continues on through my life. Because as Paul said, and as we, we all struggle with sin, we're all addicted to it. Christ's victory doesn't mean that we stop sinning. <laughs> That'll happen when, it, when he returns and we experience in its fullness. Uh, as Mick preached a couple of weeks ago, it means, though, that we're not owned by it anymore. We're owned by God and his spirit. We have a new way of living because of it, even though it still affects our lives. And so uh, we need to constantly uh, repeat this pattern. Um, So we need to hear it. So you need to tell each other the gospel. We need to be preaching the gospel to each other uh, every day. You need to be doing it in your families, uh, with your partners, uh, with your kids, in your grow groups, in your life groups, reminding each other of the truth of the gospel and what it is. Um, we need to um, encourage each other. How is your faith going? Are you believing it? Are you living as if this is true? Uh, have you been asking God's spirit to give you that power to do it? Uh, and praying for each other, laying hands on one another so that you would actually increase in faith, so that you would increase in the power of God to live in the truth of who you are through the gospel. Um, I've been reading a couple of books lately about um, renewing the mind. There's a Caroline Leaf book called Switching on Your Brain. Uh, came some stuff out of um, the Valiant Man stuff too. Um, and she, Caroline Leaf in her book has this great line. She's a, I call her a brain doctor, but she's a neuro doctor thingy. Works with the brain. <laughs> that wasn't very convincing, was it? Um, she's, she, in, she, in her book, she writes this line that science is finally catching up with the Bible. And I like it. And so she studies the brain, and now they can scan the brain and they can work out how it's working and stuff like that. Um, they're working out now that if, you, um, if you're thinking, so her thing is um, your thinking controls your brain. If you're a humanist, you go the other way. It's your brain that controls your thinking. But spiritually, we believe that it's our thinking, our soul, our being, our spirit that controls the brain. And science is actually seeing that now. So what they're saying, if you create um, a positive thinking thing, which um, Paul in Philippians 4, uh, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is good, think about such things. And what they're actually finding is that if you think about such things, if you think about the gospel regularly, your brain structure physically changes. It actually starts to grow pathways that align with that thinking and um, she says that that's what I believe Paul's talking about when he's talking about the renewing of your mind that your brain actually starts to rewire itself to think this way Um, and spiritually God does that and it's a bit like I love this we did it in Valiant Man they talked about it there where um, it's a bit like driving a car when you first drive the car 
it's clunky and it's hard and it's confusing and you can't sort of work out what to do. It. It's, it's to once you've been driving the car for 20 years, you, you can go from one place to another and not even think consciously what I did. And so because your brain's been rewired and trained to, to do all those things. And so that's part of what we're doing when we um, renew our mind with the gospel is we've got to keep reminding ourselves of the truth, keep aligning to the truth, um, keep calling out lies, um, keep coming back to the truth. And as we do that more and more, we think and act uh, in that truth. So there you go. Next slide. Towards the end of this introduction, Paul says this. It's a famous verse. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so you've got to ask yourself, why would Paul be ashamed of the gospel? Uh, and I think there's three reasons why he would be ashamed of the gospel, and you've probably heard of these before. Um, the Greek people that he was proclaiming uh, the gospel to, they thought it was absolute foolishness. They thought, what is this that the gods, a God from heaven would come and take human form? That's ridiculous. Uh, that's not logical. It's unsophisticated thinking. There can't be just one God. There's many gods. What is this sort of rubbish that you're talking about? And I think today we can recognize that in our climate, isn't it? That the gospel, when we start to talk about supernatural activity and stuff like that, uh, a lot of our culture says it's foolishness, it's rubbish. You, you don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't want it. And uh, it stops us living it and it stops us proclaiming it. So we just need to, sometimes you know, the shame of uh, the culture around us can stop that. And Paul's saying, not through the power of God, I'm not ashamed to live and proclaim the gospel. So that's relevant for us as we uh, continue. The second one was uh, the Jews. Um, the, the, the Jewish people thought that the gospel was blasphemy. How can you say that um, Jesus was God? There's no way that he was not God. Actually, he's the enemy of God and we want to kill him and that's what they did. Uh, he might have had a good few things to, to teach, but uh, what we want to go back to is the law. So you've got to live good life uh, and you've got to save yourself. And if you can't save yourself, um, you know, grace, what they would say, is too easy and it actually just allows people to sin more. That's rubbish. That's ridiculous. And Paul was, and I think we experience some of that in our culture today too. Grace is too easy. You've got to work harder. If you, you want to stop sinning, you, you want to stop sinning, you've got to work harder. You've got to put in boundaries. You've got to and what does that do? It just builds more shame and it just makes it harder and it builds more burden. You see, the gospel works is um, you have been set free from that sin and shame, so now you can live a life of obedience in freedom and in joy, in contentment. And then the third one, which I think is there, why he says that the gospel can be shame, shameful, which I've touched on already, is the idea that we can't save ourselves. If we actually look in our hearts and recognize that we can't, it's a bit like it's humbling and it's a bit shaming to us. And that's what, you know, he talks about that in Romans 6 and 7, where he talked about as a Pharisee, he did everything he could to save himself and it wasn't until God knocked him off his horse and showed him Jesus <laughs> that he was humbled enough and broken enough to say everything I have done in my life trying to make myself right with God was just rubbish 
now I am right with God through Jesus. Uh, and he says that's, that's a bit shameful. And Paul, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Paul, I think he shares his story about five or six or seven times in, in his letters. And it's actually a shameful story. Paul gets up and he says, you know, I used to go around killing Christians. I used to go around killing followers of Christ. He says, you know, I am the most wretched of people. I am the least of the least. And he says, that's what I'll boast in. I'm happy for you to know all about that because when you see that gospel (laughs) applied to my life, then you see its power. You see a power that can transform someone like me into what he's doing with through me now. And he does a beautiful thing. See, there's no shame in, in talking about sin and brokenness. But also the other thing is that it removes pride. Because when we hide sin and make ourselves look better than we are, we start to look down the nose of others. I experienced this uh, about 18 years ago, and I've shared some of that here with you before, where I talked about having a reconversion experience Um, I got addicted to pornography and um, it was a pretty dark time in my life. Through my rehabilitation and work through that, I saw a counsellor and went to a Sexaholics Anonymous class session for, uh, I don't know, 12 months or more. It's not the thing you like to talk about. I don't talk about it often, but I think today is a day that's relevant for me to talk about it. And I remember sitting in that room, experiencing the love of God that I have never experienced before while I'm dealing with the pit of my brokenness and shame. But here's the thing. In that same space, I started to look around the room and I I thought to myself, I'm glad I'm not like any of these other guys because they've done far worse than I've done. And I started to compare myself to the other people sitting in the room. And that's what the Pharisees would do (laughs) because they'd measure themselves by the law. And so the gospel comes in and and actually God confronted me in that moment and he humbled me and he said, (laughs) it's only by my grace that you've been saved. And I learned to live in a new dependence on God and his love that brought freedom, that brought peace and hope and actually brought confidence uh, enabling me to live in obedience to him. The removal of shame that empowered me to live in a a more obedient and glorifying life for God. And I came across it in the last week, and as I read it, I was just overwhelmed by it. So I'm going to read it here. These are the 12 steps. So it's a 12-step program. Alcoholics Anonymous was written by Christians. When I read through it, it's like, this is just how to live the gospel. So listen to this. We admitted that we were powerless, and I'm just going to make us sinaholics, okay? We admitted that we were powerless over sin and that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We made a decision to turn our life and our wills over to the care of God. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We admitted to God, to ourselves and to other humans the exact nature of our wrongs. 
we were entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. We humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. We made a list of people that we had harmed and made amends. We made direct amends to the people wherever possible. We continued to take a personal inventory. And when we were wrong, we admitted it promptly. We sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying, uh, praying only for knowledge of his will and for the power that he gives to carry that out. And having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, which I think is a really a result of applying the gospel, we tried to take this message to other sinaholics and to practice these principles in all of our life. And the more I did that, and the more I think people that practice these, and your, wire, your brain begins to wire this, and you actually begin to realize the freedom of the gospel. And it, you also realize the power that you have to battle sin. Uh, the power through God's spirit and through a group of people, through the church, as we um, walk this road together. I think that there are no more... Uh, there are no more displays of the power of the gospel, uh, of the testimonies of God's people, God's people's brokenness. You, and I, so, uh, so often people will say, that's a powerful story. And it's usually a power of, powerful story that's got to do with shame and brokenness and, and hurt <laughs> and God coming and saving someone and giving them a new purpose and a new life and a new... I was trying to answer this question. I don't know if I'm less sinful, I, 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 whether I do less sin now than I used to. <laughs> it's a funny question to ask. But the reason I ask this is the closer I get to Jesus, the more sinful I recognize I am. You might think that's weird, but the more sinful I recognize him, the more I recognize his love, the more I recognize his power, the more I recognize his transforming work <laughs> in my life and that each day he takes that and he washes it clean and he sets me on a path so that I can walk into the next part of my life being right with God, experiencing his power, knowing his joy, being in a church that encourages me to do that to the last slides we'll go through these quickly Paul finishes his uh, intro saying the righteous then will live by faith so that's what I say we've got to live now as if it's true <laughs> and how does he say that um, we live by faith we live in obedience now that comes by faith so there is an obedience thing we want to do that but we do that by faith in the gospel there is an obligation Paul talks about there's an obligation now to live according to the saviour's ways but just remember, when we go through this now, that God does not love you because of what you do. I've said that lots. You've got to remember, God does not love you because of what you do. He loves you because of who you are. You've been created in his image and you are now his children. Okay. He cares what you do, but he doesn't love you uh, because of that. Uh, he loves you because of who you are. Uh, encourage each other with this. We've talked about that. Pray continuously. Paul does that. To, for yourself and for others live by the power of the spirit 
um, and proclaim it in word and deed. And this is what I, and I often when we talk about the gospel and we hear about proclaiming it, we often think that's spoken, and, and it is. But there's a whole aspect of living your life now in the freedom of the gospel. Do the people in your workplace or the people at your school or in your home <laughs> experience the gospel by the way you live? The freedom that you have to admit you're wrong, the freedom you have to ask them to forgive you, the freedom you have not to try and pretend to be someone you're not. It's one of the powerful, most powerful things that God has given his church, I think particularly for our day and age in Australia at this time, is to admit our vulnerability, to realize that the power of the gospel in our shame and our brokenness to give us new life and purpose. So as we go from here, ask God for more faith. Ask the Holy Spirit to keep transforming us. Ask each other to help us live in the gospel. The power of the gospel brings life, freedom, hope and peace and joy to serve God and others. And he removes our shame and he gives us the power of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this good news this morning. Lord, we recognize that when we come face to face with the gospel, with the come face to face with you, we recognize our own brokenness, our own sinfulness. And if we look deep and deeper and deeper, we recognize, Lord, we can't save ourselves. And we are caught uh, yeah, all too often in a pit of shame and despair. And so we want to repent of that and turn away from that and turn to the gospel. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would um, bring the gospel alive in each of our hearts this morning. That you would remind us that we are right with God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That we now have life and life to the full. Life empowered by your Spirit with the hope of eternal future and life with you forever. So Lord, help us to live by the power of the Spirit. Help us to have more faith. Help us to glorify you by living a life of obedience in joy, in courage and in strength, understanding our identity and who we are in Christ. May you be glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen.